The biggest disappointment for me, specifically in public education, is that we try to educate students, every single student, the exact same way. We can't do that. People are people and every single person is different. And if we try to institutionalize something and teach someone in the same exact way, like every single day, it is going to fail. Yep. And that is why I have such a problem with standardized testing. That's why I have such a problem with people rushing students through a grade level. And then instead of allowing them to remediate, just continuing to push them forward, forward, forward. You have got to meet kids where they are. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Welcome to episode 22 of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast slash show. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Megan Donham. Megan and I have become friends over the past few months after she reached out to me uh, following my interview with Mark Brackett. Megan is a past teacher and also worked with an organization for some time that focused on social emotional learning. That's really what we talk about in this interview is bringing emotional intelligence into the school systems, aiding our teachers, aiding the students, and really aiding the parents. It's a collective effort, and I feel like that's what's lacking. To give you a little bit of a background about Megan, so Megan now is an entrepreneur and has her own marketing business, and she calls herself a marketing and spirituality coach. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I reside, and she left her teaching career, went into corporate marketing, and then became a freelancer, and she began to notice that small businesses were scared and getting stuck when it came to marketing their business. So she provides a solution to help them feel more confident in making meaningful connections with their client base. So without further ado, here is the amazing interview with Megan Dunham. All right, Megan, well, welcome to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Mm -hmm. It is a pleasure to have you on. I feel like this has been a long time coming. We've been planning this for some time now, Mm -hmm. um, back and forth. But if you wouldn't mind, just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get to know you. Yeah, of course. Um, So hi, my name is Megan. I am a former teacher. Um, I have my master's degree in education, worked in public schools and private schools for about 10 years. Um, And then I transferred into working for an education software company. Um, And now I actually own my own business. And while my business is not necessarily centered around emotional intelligence, um, I do still put a lot of those practices into what I do, um, you know, in my day-to-day work with my clients um, as a coach. And I just think that this conversation needs to be had not only for children, but also for adults. um, And it's just a really long time coming. Uh, Yeah, I can relate to your story when you and I met the first time just to have a casual conversation. I don't think a lot of listeners know know this, but my first major was in early childhood education. And when I started teaching, I wasn't in the school system very long. In fact, I wasn't in a system per se. I worked for the private area in early childhood development. 
But when I was an elementary ed to institute of teaching, even then I saw that, you know, this isn't exactly what I envisioned it being. And I think it's so unfortunate that so many teachers get burnt out and there's this constant battle between the system and the teachers and the teachers and the parents. And I feel like the kids and the teachers get stuck in the middle Mm-hmm. of just this hot mess mm-hmm. and no one's really coming from a place of understanding. No. And that can even be, you know, unfortunately I was paired with a third grade teacher when I was student teaching who did not need to be in that space. Mm-hmm. I don't know her, you know, reason for going into teaching in the beginning, mm-hmm. but whatever passion she may have had in the beginning just wasn't there anymore. And it was just a process. It was just going through the motions, barking orders at kids, having confrontations with parents. Mm -hmm. And you being a teacher, you know that it's not simple to say, well, it's the parent's fault or it's the teacher's fault. There's high stress coming from both sides. And we both know that when you are under immense amounts of stress, and don't have the tools like emotional intelligence and the skills, your emotions are going to take over. You're not going to be able to think rationally and have those conversations and be a space for those kids to learn or even confide in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely true. I think that unfortunately, um, a lot of women specifically go into teaching because they don't see a lot of other career options for them. Um, I think that we as women have been told that if you become a teacher, then it's a good job to have if you have children because you're on the same schedule as them, quote unquote. And and, um, that was certainly my experience, Um, not necessarily from my parents, um, because I feel like my parents have always been really supportive of me no matter what I've decided to do, but just as kind of like society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a lot of gifts when it came to being a, a teacher and um, was never really given the opportunity to explore what teaching might look like outside of just working in the system. Right. Um, so I, when I hear you say that about that teacher, without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, I'm thinking of dozens of people that I worked with who felt the same way. Yeah. Um, I actually remember even before that, as a student in high school, my uh, ninth grade math teacher was, it was probably the worst class that I ever took in high school because I could tell that she didn't want to be there. Um, her husband had just passed away that previous year. It was her last year of teaching before she could retire. And she was just not in a good space mentally um, to be working at the school that I was at. I, I, the high school that I went to was a magnet school um, and it was in a, uh, you know, lower income neighborhood. So I had, there were a lot of people that were in my class who needed extra support and she just was so over it. Um, And not only that, but was not given the resources or the skills in order to be able to 
to help those kids, right? Because at that point, she was probably in her 50s or 60s and um, emotional intelligence and social emotional learning were not things that people discussed when she was coming up through school. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course she wouldn't have those types of, you know, what that, those types of skills and that type of knowledge, but it was, it made a lasting impression on me. Um, especially as someone who wanted to be, had wanted to be a teacher their entire lives to see this woman so unhappy, um, and really struggling day to day. Um, it, it just made me really sad for her. I remember this story and I want to, you know, to our listeners who are going to hear this later, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be going back and forth because we are recording live on Clubhouse as well. So I want to welcome mm-hmm. Brittany and Corey into mm-hmm. this conversation. And Brittany and Corey, we will, um, at the end of this podcast, open the floor um, for you to jump into the discussion. So right now we're recording for the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast, and we're talking about the educational system and emotional intelligence and the dire need to bring this skill, not just to the youth, but to the teachers who support the youth and also to the parents so they can build that relationship with the kids, with their kids and the parents. We need to come together. We hear all this talk about community, right? We need to bring the community together. Mm. And while those words are very true, they're often spoken with very little sincerity, right? And the parents are thinking, you're right, we do. The teachers need to get on board with me while the teachers are thinking, yeah, the parents need. And, and there's, there's this, again, I'm going to say lack of understanding. And like you were saying about this teacher who lacked those resources, are we providing teachers with these resources? And the very clear answer is no. Um, Mm-hmm. What I remember from our conversation was the little boy who would run to the bathroom. Um, I'm going to let you share that story because mm-hmm. obviously the details have left me, but it was such an impactful story. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that and the way the teacher reacted and, and how you being emotionally intelligent, having that skill set, was able to see past the, the emotions of this little boy acting out? Yes. So this story still breaks my heart um, because, you know, and sometimes I just wonder where is he now and what are the experiences that he had after, um, you know, our time together. So when I was student teaching, I was teaching at a school that was in an affluent neighborhood. And at that point, um, the county that I was working in was busing students from different neighborhoods in order to achieve a specific amount of diversity in each school. It's a really common thing that public schools do. So this little boy was from, he was being bused into this neighborhood and into a school where, to be frank, he felt like a fish out of water. Um, The people that he was constantly surrounded by were people who had no clue what he was going through, what he was experiencing day to day, who he was, what types of um, cultural experiences he had. Um, And to be honest, it sometimes seemed like they really didn't care. Um, So he had a tendency to ask the teacher to go to the bathroom, but then he would go and he would be there for 20 minutes and um you know it was labeled as a problem he was a problem child and 
So one day, the classroom that I was in where I was student teaching, he raised his hand and asked to use the bathroom. And the teacher that was in the room with me asked me if I could walk with him. So I did. I said, you know, hey, let's let's go to the bathroom. And he was really upset that I had to walk with him. He felt really frustrated. And so on our way down the hall to see a really, really long hallway from the classroom down to the bathrooms, you know, I could tell that he was upset and, and I asked him, you know, what he was feeling. And you know, even then I, I didn't at that point have any sort of understanding of what social emotional learning was, but I have always been a very empathic person and I could tell that he was upset. And so he said to me, I feel like no one trusts me. Um, I'm not happy here. I don't have any friends. Uh, and I mean, he was to the point where he was almost crying little second grade student. Uh, and here he was trying to hold this really tough exterior, uh, which came across to a lot of teachers as him being a problem student. But really all he wanted was for someone to take five minutes to understand how he felt and why he was uncomfortable being at that school. Um, and it, at that point, I didn't really know how to, how to help him because I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the skills. But looking back now, there are a million things that I wish I could have said to him uh, just to help him feel seen, understood, and appreciated. And personally, you know, this is just my own personal opinion. I think that busing in order to achieve diversity is just a horrible, horrible band-aid of a fix for school systems and there's got to be a better way because this kid was obviously struggling. I was, I read a research article. It's been several years ago now. It was talking about that very thing um, that schools that are segregated. I mean, and I, I use that term very, very broad and loose because we don't have quote unquote segregated schools but you have schools that are definitely the demographic is more white and then other schools are more Latino or African-American, right? Just where they're zoned. And the study showed that it actually does more damage than good. Because like you said, like this little boy, he felt like an outcast. There was no understanding there. There was there was not a good transition point. It was throwing, you know, a guppy into a shark tank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, that is like this, this really like hits, hits my soft spot because I became a teacher or I went into education because I struggled in school, like struggled the teachers kept wanting to hold me back. My parents didn't let them. Um, I was terrified. Even to this day, I still get terrified, like in immense anxiety trying to read out loud because it triggers something in me from when I was called on in school to read out loud. And I would get bullied because I was three to four grade levels behind my peers when it came to reading. And it's like, why do we do that? You know, and I got punished because I wasn't listening or following along because that's what I would do. I just say, I I lost my place. I would rather get in trouble 
than to be made fun of and bullied for not being able to read. And Mm. that's why I became a teacher or wanted to. And when I was Mm -hmm. at school student teaching or volunteering, I naturally gravitated to these problem kids. Anytime a classroom that I was in had a problem child, I would ask the teacher, can I, can I handle this? Can I, and without fail, these kids like clung to me like Velcro and I loved it because I felt with them, not for them, but with them. And I gave them that space and it just, to me, it just seems like the human thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny that you talk about that because, um, I actually had a completely different experience as a child. I was always very um, active and participatory, but I got bullied because of that. Mm. Um, People would call me the teacher's pet. People would spread rumors about me, um, you know, doing, uh, you know, like, dumb things with the teacher to get on their good side. Oh, and sure. Especially in middle and high school. I yeah. Think. It was just like, you know, all, all I wanted to do was learn. And I was excited, especially if I had a good teacher who was willing to allow me to ask questions and be a part of the conversation. I didn't care what was happening with anybody else. I didn't care how good I looked. I didn't care what people thought about me. I was just there to learn. And so, like you said, especially in middle high school, to have people say to me, you know, well, you're just brown nosing or um, you're just trying to get an A on the test. Um, You know, that really hurt my feelings because that was not the truth at all. And the biggest disappointment for me, specifically in public education, is that we try to educate students, every single student, the exact same way. We can't do that. People are people and every single person is different. And if we try to institutionalize something and teach someone in the same exact way, like every single day, it is going to fail. Yep. And that is why I have such a problem with standardized testing. That's why I have such a problem with people rushing students through a grade level. And then instead of allowing them to remediate, just continuing to push them forward, forward, forward. You have got to meet kids where they are. And, and I understand that it's not just a black and white issue, right? There are so many teachers who want to do good by their students who are not given the resources. I think the statistic is 95% of teachers pull money out of their own pocket to pay for resources for their students. That is ridiculous. It is unacceptable. You know, absolutely already without even doing that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just, there are so many things about our public education system that need to be revised and uh, appropriated like for, and um, it's just, we can't continue to put band-aids on top of, you know, flesh wounds. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's nothing is ever going to change. We've got to really dig in and consider what are what are these systemic changes that we really need to consider and how do we go about considering those changes yeah leading from that i mean i could we could continue to talk about like our experiences and how it's mm-hmm. influenced us and just situations but 
I know that you worked for a company that focused on social emotional learning. That's mm-hmm. kind of why we got connected. You reached out because um, I had Mark Brackett on a uh, previous episode and you're like, yeah, I know all about Mark because we yeah. actually worked <laughs> with him doing this in, in the school. So tell us a little bit about the company and the program. Mm. So the company that I used to work for um, was located here. It's located here in Charlotte and it is a uh, specifically social emotional learning company. Um, And so basically what that means is that the product that the company owns is only for social emotional learning. And there are two different components of that. It was originally developed at a nonprofit uh, to help them do uh, conduct research to learn more about students' social and emotional skills, so kids K through 12. And um, actually, it was originally developed K through 8. And then as they began to conduct this research, they, they noticed that in giving this data to teachers and school staff about the students, this really um, quantitative data about social and emotional skills, that it was actually helping them inform the way that they, they taught their students. And it was leading to really positive outcomes in their classrooms. So they decided that they were going to develop um, a, a standardized assessment um, that they could then sell to public private schools to uh, help the teachers assess and understand where the students were and then give them interventions so that they could start to develop those social and emotional skills. Um, Because I think the the thing that people don't realize is that social and emotional skills can actually be taught at any age, um, at any level, social and emotional skills, although they are called soft skills, can be taught to people. Um, So that was really the mission of the company was how do we get people to understand where their students are and then begin to support those students in growing those social emotional skills. And uh, the company has actually just exploded over the past couple of years to the point where, you know, they're now bringing on assessments to help teachers um, understand their own social and emotional skills so that they can then teach them to the students. Because I think that when the adults have an understanding of what those skills are and where their own strengths and weaknesses are, they can then leverage those to teach more effectively to the kids. So it's a really powerful um, program. And there are a lot of other companies across the country that are doing this type of thing. But the reason why I really loved working um, for the company that I did is because I felt like it was always very evident that the main reason for the company's existence was to support the students and the adults who supported them. There was never any question that that was the driving force uh, behind the company and all of the people that worked there. Um, So for me, as a very mission-driven person, it was a very incredible experience to to work for this company and to see its evolution over four years and to understand that, you know, there are people out there who actually are making a difference and providing these resources to schools. And um, I think one of the most powerful things for me over the four years of working there was we had the opportunity to go go visit one of the schools that we supported in Texas. 
and we were there for an entire day. Uh, got to interview a lot of the teachers and meet some of the kids and see the actual assessment in action. And I had never really experienced that before. I'd always been on the back end. And to see the way that those people talked about our product and how much of a difference it was making for the kids. I mean, I think one of the, uh, one of the people that was interviewed actually ended up crying in the interview. It was so powerful because I knew as a former teacher exactly how she felt and how empowered she must feel now knowing that she had the skills and resources to support her kids. Wow. Powerful stuff, Mm. right? Like there's nothing that feels much better than being able to see the work you're doing have a real impact not a surface level impact, but a true impact. It's not about ROI. You know, I work with organizations and it's, it's about like the bottom line. How is this going to, that's great that it helps the employees, but bottom line. And when people get emotional, like this happened to me in one of the groups that I'm facilitating this past week, actually. And we've been working on emotional intelligence in this program that I created for months and months now since October. And our very last session, we were talking about empathy Mm. and it just so happens that there was a lot of emotion in the air that day. And there was some tears within the group and I didn't know how to word it in a way that didn't come across poorly, but (laughs) this is great. You know, like, obviously I didn't say this is great, but I was like, I'm so grateful that this is the day that you chose to experience that because we now have the opportunity to apply what we've learned and really develop that awareness and that Mm -hmm. self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. And to see this in an organization, to see team members come together and support one another and feel vulnerable enough and safe enough to have those really difficult conversations and be honest with one another. Like I think every CEO of a large organization should be able to step into a room and experience that Mm because they're so far removed sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with these school systems. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. So now that you've moved on from that, so first off, I want to ask, like, what, in, what encouraged you to kind of move away from that? Because that was clearly a very impactful um, career that you had with this organization. But now you're a business owner yourself. So what was that transformation like? And how did emotional intelligence help you? Because as a, an entrepreneur myself, if you do not have some level of emotional intelligence, you're going to go crazy. So what was that like for you? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So I actually um, left that company at the end of last year. Um, The main reason why I ended up leaving, um, so kind of to back up, I have always wanted to own my own business and be an entrepreneur, but I never really had the confidence or the uh, self-management, self-awareness, all of these tools to really take that leap. So it had been something I had been thinking about for a really long time. And then in October of last year, uh, my grandmother passed away. 
And for one, for the first time in many years, I was faced with a change in perspective. Mm. Um, I had been doing a lot of things to kind of set myself up for uh, having a side hustle and was still very happy with the company that I was working with. And then to have that sudden shock of someone who you're so close to um, passing away so suddenly really made me start to evaluate a lot of the things that I was prioritizing in my life. And I could see that the um, death of my grandmother was really impacting my mother specifically and um, was by the divine grace of the universe, given the opportunity to step away from that company start my own business and support my family um, by my, my parents own their own business as well. So I was able to step in and support my mom so that she could step away Mm -hmm. and not spend as much time working on the business and spend more time with family um, and, and really grieving the passing of my grandmother. And um, so it wasn't necessarily that I made the choice to step away, even though I did, it was more that there were certain things that aligned in such a way that it felt like I really needed to step away to support my family. Um, So that's kind of the, that was the main deciding factor um, for why I decided to leave that company in December. And then I also knew, you know, if I'm going to step away and not be working for a company anymore, then this is my opportunity to live out that dream that I've had for myself since I could remember. Uh, So I just really dug in and um, started working with lots of different coaches and leaning into the advice of people that I really trusted and, and also leaning into my own innate skills and the skills that I developed as I learned more about my own personal um, emotional intelligence and, and, you know, social emotional skills. And I, I really feel like it could not have come at a better time because I have definitely had to use my growth mindset and my grit and, uh, you know, my self-management skills to get myself through some really scary times as an entrepreneur, but I really wouldn't have it any other way at this point. I, I feel so lucky to be able to do what I'm doing. And I also feel really lucky to have such a great relationship with the company that I left, yeah. um, you know, in a way that I can continue to speak about them and really hold them in high esteem and know that, um, you know, there are no hard feelings and everything just happens for a reason. And I just, I just feel really lucky that it happened the way that it did. Yeah. And I don't know if you mentioned the name of your company earlier for people who are interested in oh, yeah. maybe looking them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, was, so ahead, it's called Aperture Education. Yeah. So if you think about the aperture of the camera, the aperture of a camera is meant to focus um, the camera on a specific idea, angle, person, thing. And uh, so when they were developing the name of the company, they decided that Aperture Education sounded great because their original tagline was um, focusing on the whole child, right? So not just one piece of the child, but the entire experience. Mm. Awesome. And I'm sorry for the loss of your 
grandmother. You said that was this past October. Mm, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, wow. So how is it going so far? I mean, you're really early into the entrepreneur journey, like <laughs> infancy. I'm what, three years in almost. And I still feel like I started it yesterday sometimes. When people say <laughs> it's going to take three to five years for you to become a profitable business, like I laughed at them. I was like, nah, I got too much grit and drive. Like it's not going to take me that long. And then I told my husband the other day, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like at least I'm hitting the three year mark now. So like, mm -hmm. I know something's probably going to happen the next two years, hopefully. Right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm very grateful too, because things happened to work out for me in a way that my husband got a promotion, which now allows me not to stress so much about the revenue I'm bringing in, but more focus on the content I'm creating mm -hmm. and bringing value. Um, mm -hmm. But I want you to talk specifically about what you do, who your ideal clients are. Mm -hmm. So anyone that's listening, because we have people from, gosh, I think it's like over 130 countries listening. Wow. And I believe the last I checked was 1,054 cities around wow. the world. So we have a very broad audience. And I don't know if you work with anyone across the globe, but here's your <laughs> opportunity to kind of plug that and, yeah. and tell us how that's been for you. Thank you. Yeah. So I actually do. Um, one of the things that I have been so fortunate to experience is um, I joined a community of entrepreneurs uh, probably in January and have been making some incredible connections. So I actually work with people all over the world. I just got off a phone call on Monday with someone from New Zealand, which is really cool and exciting. But um, yeah, I typically work with female entrepreneurs, um, typically women who are solopreneurs. So they own their own business and they don't have any employees. Um, and usually it's with someone who is either at the beginning stages of their business. So let's say zero to one years or one to five years. Um, so, you know, fairly brand new businesses. And I am actually a marketing coach. So when I was working at Aperture, I was part of the marketing team for four years. And then before that, I had a little bit of marketing experience at the school that I was working at. Um, I was working for the summer programs office and I did some marketing and advertising. So marketing has been something that I've been passionate about for a number of years. And when I started freelancing in 2016, I noticed that a lot of small business owners felt really confused and frustrated about how to market their business with intention. So they were trying to use all of these big gimmicky marketing strategies that large, you know, corporate businesses were using. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same. It's very different, but there's not a lot of literature. There's not a lot of, um, educational material out there about how to modify marketing strategies for small businesses. So I started doing that and I noticed that it was working really well and that people were responding and, and getting, you know, a lot of really great results. Um, so for a while I was a contractor and then this year I decided to pivot because I know that I am a naturally born teacher. I know that that is part of my purpose in life. And as a coach, I can actually teach my clients how to develop those strategies for themselves so that they feel empowered 
to move forward and not necessarily rely on other people in order to scale their business. Um, so yeah, I have a quick 30 day program and I also have a, a 12 week program um, for anybody who is interested in learning more about marketing strategies. That's awesome. And all of this will be in the show notes. So just send all that over to me and then people can just go there and um, find all the links Great. to connect with you. Okay. Um, so let's talk about emotional intelligence and marketing. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I have to admit or confess that I was that person in the beginning. Like, here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of solopreneurs now are going with their name as their brand, mm -hmm. right? Like Marie Forleo or Brene Brown or like it is their name. It's not a business name. Mm -hmm. For me, like I came up with a business name in the beginning because I felt like that was just normal, like what I felt like I should do. Mm -hmm. So I came up with Catalyst for Change. Well, the problem with that is people don't necessarily know that it's a one gal show. They think mm -hmm. it's a business. So when I started marketing myself, I was doing that same thing where it was like, I was saying we or Catalyst for Change does this. And it's like, but I am Catalyst for Change. So that has taken some getting used to myself and how I portray the business because I think it was very confusing to people. And it's funny because I consider myself to have a decent amount of emotional intelligence, right? But even that kind of slipped on because it's complicated. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to know your audience, mm -hmm. which is part of emotional intelligence, being in mm -hmm. tune with them to know their needs, to know their problems so you can market to them. Mm -hmm. So just, just tell me about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I actually practice something called mindful marketing, which is not necessarily any sort of, you know, educational group or, you know, program that you ascribe to. It's just something that I have always considered to be um, my driving force. I am a humanitarian. I am someone who really cares about people and, and their feelings and their experiences. So coming into a corporate setting and thankfully, you know, working in a company like Aperture, I was never forced to really employ any of these uh, really frustrating, gimmicky marketing tactics. Um, so I feel really, really lucky in that respect. But I still came across those tactics all the time in lots of, you know, trainings that I participated in and uh, workshops and conferences. And it always really frustrated me because I felt like there was this huge disconnect between the person who was working in the marketing department and the person who was actually consuming the product or service. Um, I think that we as marketers can sometimes be so, so insular and think that we know what's best mm -hmm. and just keep pushing, 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 deploy, 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 and not take a moment to step back and think about well, what are the real-time effects of the person who's actually consuming this? And do they really want to hear this? Do they want to hear, uh, you know, do they want to experience this? I actually did a, a survey on my Instagram stories a couple of days ago, asking people what they thought of when they thought of marketing and email marketing specifically, because that's something that I focus on. And the number one response to what do you think of when you think of email marketing was spam. Yeah. <laughs> So I, you know, and I totally get it. 
because there are all of these really gimmicky gross tactics that companies use to try to get people to open their emails or get on their email list or buy this. And I want people to understand that there is absolutely another side to that. And I almost kind of want to reclaim the word marketing and explore what it means to be intentional and thoughtful with your marketing strategies and campaigns, specifically as a small business owner, when you have the ability to have complete leverage over what that strategy or campaign campaign looks like. Um, it's just so important from the very beginning to be intentional and thoughtful about how you portray yourself as a business. Cause like you said, if you are the face of the business, you are in essence marketing yourself. Yeah. Let's talk about authenticity that, mm. that very overused word (laughs) now um our lack of emotional intelligence in society and listeners i know i repeat myself like a parrot sometimes but it's it's so true i cannot say it enough that we've got to stop trying to portray an authentic self Mm -hmm. that is a facade of authenticity Mm -hmm. because it is building so much skepticism in society, we don't know who to trust. We've been hurt so many times. And I was just having a conversation with a friend this week. Her and I are both entrepreneurs and we were just talking about the app, uh, the environment that we're in and how people that we thought were our friends that thought were, you know, on our side supporting us don't really support us yet. Their mm-hmm. motto is support. Mm-hmm. Right. And how mm-hmm. they're there for people. And it's like, but are you really there? Mm-hmm. Right. Or are you just saying that because you know, that's what people want and desire and need. And, um, I've, I've even reached out to people I consider to be now I use the friend, like the term friend loosely because I'm an mm-hmm. introvert. So like I know people, but for, for example, you and I, like, I would consider you like a friend, even though we don't hang out or do anything, um, I appreciate what you do. I value you and we connect here and there. Right. And mm. that's, that's kind of the extent of my friendship with a lot of people because as an entrepreneur, you're overwhelmed and busy now I'm <laughs> rambling and I'm going down a rabbit hole and on a tangent. But the point being when you're a business owner, you want to reach out to people that you've connected with long enough that you feel like really could use your services. And you're coming right. from a genuine place of, I really like, we've had conversations, not you and I, but this other person, right? We've had conversations where I see you're struggling with these things that I work on with, with other individuals. I would mm-hmm. love to kind of run this program past you. And then mm-hmm. they ghost me. Mm-hmm. And that's really disheartening because mm-hmm. I think like, oh, wow, you don't trust me at all. Mm-hmm. Or you're so afraid to tell me no, thinking that I'm going to ghost you Mm -hmm. if you tell me no and you don't want to break that friendship. It's just, it's so disheartening. Yes. EQ deficiency. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I really couldn't have said it better. I think that we as entrepreneurs specifically get so attached to our businesses 
Uh, I think I, I was on another podcast a couple of months ago and, and I, I talked about how specifically as a solopreneur, your business is an intimate extension of who you are as a person. So when someone says no to you, when you're trying to, let's say, market your service, uh, sell them your latest uh, course, when someone says no to you as a solopreneur, if you don't have the ability to step back and have that self-awareness, it could feel very personally hurtful to you. But the thing that I have to constantly remind myself of, and you know, when I, I, a couple of years ago did trauma training as a yoga teacher, and it changed my life because for the first time I was able to logically understand why people did and said certain things. And to understand that it wasn't a reflection of me when they acted in a specific way. Mm -hmm. It was just a reflection of what their perceived reality Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that as business owners, we have to take responsibility for how connected we put our own personal value and worth into our business. Yeah. If someone says no to you, it does not mean that they are telling you that you are a horrible person. Right. It, it just means many different things. Maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't really have the time. Maybe they're scared. Like you said, there are so many different reasons why people say no to us. There are so many different reasons why people back away from us and we can't take that as a reflection of the success or lack of success of our business. And see, I am totally the no, I'm good with no's. I can, Mm -hmm. you can give me no's all day long. (laughs) It's when you don't say anything. Yeah. Know that you've seen my message and Mm -hmm. now you're ghosting me. Mm -hmm. That's what I take personally, because Mm -hmm. to me, it's not about my service. It's about our relationship and the comfort that you have in knowing you can say no to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that Mm -hmm. because that's what's lacking is they don't Mm -hmm. trust that they can be honest with me. Mm -hmm. That's what I get really upset about. And, you know, I know how difficult it is to say no to people. Mm -hmm. I've had to say no to people that I really like. I value what they're doing. It just doesn't feel like a good fit for me. And it's like, it does like pinch a little bit to say Mm -hmm. no. It's like, but it's nothing personal. It's just not a fit for me. But Mm -hmm. if I know of anybody who I feel like it would be a good fit for, I am more than happy to refer them to you or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I have found, and I'm just throwing this out there for anyone listening that is really relating to us right now. um, You know, we've all, I've ghosted people. I'd be a hypocrite to say that I haven't done that before. I can't say recently, and I can't say that it was anyone that I knew it was, it was kind of random people that just like, it's like proposing to a stranger walks up on the street and proposes to you. It's like, uh, I'm going to acknowledge that you just asked me that question. Um, but you know, to people that you, you want to make sure you keep that relationship intact, like do, do the, them grace or, you know, give them the respect mm-hmm. of giving them that no, it may be hard. Mm-hmm. It may be painful for them to accept. And mm-hmm. maybe 
who knows, they may ghost you for a bit, um, but continue to try to have that conversation because what I have found is the people that have ghosted me in the past, if I see, and this is where it gets awkward, especially if it's in your local circle where you know you're going to see them at events, yeah. you may try to avoid them because you don't want, oh gosh, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you right now, every single time I see someone like that in an event, I go up to them and act like nothing happened and say, Hey, how are you doing? I saw that this just happened in your life. Tell me about mm. that. Without felt every time we rekindle that relationship. And once I feel good about that, I have a conversation and say, so I'm glad we're good but I do want to get this off my chest and let you know how that made me feel. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a tough conversation, but it's a conversation we need to be having. Mm, Yes. 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 And even with family, even with family. Mm -hmm. I, I think that technology in that way has really done us a disservice because it is a, a lot more difficult to ghost someone in real life than it is to ghost someone via a screen um, and just not respond to a message that they've sent you. Um, so I think that that's something that we all have to be aware of as we, you know, lean into these services like Instagram and Clubhouse and Facebook and um, email to, to do business. Uh, is that you've, we've almost got to develop a, a new way of a new social etiquette mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, and I, that actually made me think of a time when I was, um, this is like a little bit similar, but a little different where I was, you know, having a conversation with a friend of mine who um, had brought another friend of hers into the conversation. And I didn't know this other woman. And, and I, I actually said something that was very, hurtful to her um, about something that I didn't realize she cared about. Mm. And it was, to be honest with you, I think maybe the very first time in my adult life where I was able to step back and look at what had just happened and then approach this woman and apologize. Mm. Um, And it was such a powerful experience for me because up until the point where I really started developing my own personal, you know, EQ skills, I was the type of person who was very avoidant. I was really afraid of confrontation. Um, I didn't like to hurt people's feelings. And this conversation that I was able to have with this woman was one of the most powerful conversations I have ever had with a person. Um, because not only was I able to apologize for what I had done, but she was able to receive the apology and then tell me what I had done to hurt her feelings, why they, why the things that I had said hurt her feelings and, and offer me some advice as to, you know, how I could maybe approach the subject in a different way in the future. It was, it was incredible. She taught me a lot. That's powerful stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's really powerful. It gives me like, I don't even know if you can see, but I have goosebumps. (laughs) Like I have, yeah, the hair is standing up on my arms right now. Uh, because 
I think we get in our heads how it's going to unfold and we end up creating this self-fulfilling prophecy. Like they think this of me, they're going to react this way. So we go ahead and react to the thing that hasn't happened yet, which causes them to become defensive as well, because now we're attacking them because we're already defensive before anything's happened. Mm -hmm. And this is one more point. And God, I I could talk to you seriously for another hour. (laughs) Um, Do you have a hard stop at 2.30? No, I don't. Okay. I promise I won't keep you too long, but we're just having such good conversation (laughs) that I really don't want to cut it off um, too soon. So now I got to get back on track, man. This happened to me with Neil last, last podcast recording. I talked about a bowling ball and everything else just left me what I was going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, okay. It came back to me now. So we're talking about emotional intelligence and I don't often talk about the dark side of emotional intelligence because I don't even want people to know that there is a dark side because as soon as someone knows that there's a dark side, those people who see it as a a manipulation, like kind of tactic are going to use it for that. So I talk about emotional intelligence and compassion, Mm -hmm. hearing those two, that's where the magic happens. That's where those interactions like that you had with this lady, because you came from a genuine place of understanding. Right. And I've also been in certain situations where that has happened as well. And it never really ends up poorly um, because as the listener, as the person with the emotional intelligence, and I'm not saying that other person doesn't, but you have to go into it taking full responsibility for what's going to happen. Not, well, I'm going to do my best, but whatever happens, like it's going to be up to them. No, it's up to you. If you feel like what you're saying is hitting them a certain way and they're becoming defensive, that tells me that I need to take a step back. Because there's still more that they need to get off their chest and out first before I can jump in and start clarifying what I actually meant by that. Because too many times we interrupt and interject before they're finished. And I call it kinking the water hose. Mm -hmm. When you put a kink in the water hose, it doesn't stop the water from, you know, there's still water in that hose. Um, So let them get it all out. Put yourself in their position and take a third party seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the the big thing is we let our egos get in the yes. way. Yes. Yes. So, in addition to all of the things that I am, I'm kind of a Jill of all trades. I also have my 200 uh, hour yoga teacher certification, and it is incredible to me that all of these things are spun together by this golden thread yoga specifically the training that i went through really touched on a lot of um eq sel topics and one of them was specifically how do you remove yourself from the ego as we call it and allow it to not run the show Mm -hmm. um 
And I actually just finished reading The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. I don't know if you've ever read that book before, nope, but it, down, it is really good. He, uh, orig- he wrote The Untethered Soul first, and then his second book was The Surrender Experiment. And in that book, he talks about how he first hears this really loud voice, which everyone has in their head, and he begins to become aware of that voice and then ask himself, how do I get that, that voice to just be quiet because it's really annoying? And his um, philosophy is just to surrender to the flow of life, to whatever is happening around him because he has enough trust in, you know, God or the divine or universe, whatever you would like to call it, um, that things are going to work out in his favor. And it is so powerful because it goes back to that same word that you spoke about earlier, trust. And I think that's why people have such difficulties in life because there's not enough trust. There's not enough trust, not in the people around them and the experiences around them. There's not enough trust in themselves. Mm-hmm. People don't trust themselves enough yeah. to make good decisions, to you know, move forward, to take risks, to love themselves, um, to allow themselves to be loved by other people. And it's, you know, when we, when we talk about those types of things in yoga philosophy, it's, uh, it's very heavily tied to the Buddhist philosophies as well. And Buddha says in his first lesson that we are the ones who cause our own suffering. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's so true. It is so true. Yeah. Um, because like you said, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about how do we react? How do we react? What's going to happen? I need to know. I need to be in control. And if you just release that and allow yourself the fluidity and the flexibility and, and the trust, your life can open up to so many beautiful, rich experiences. 100%. You you know, I'm, I'm not a yoga person. I've tried it. I need to do more of it. <laughs> My per like, it's not that I'm against yoga. It's I'm impatient and yes. I get frustrated because what looks to be so easy. Well, now some of those moves do not look easy at all, but a local brewery, uh, for those of you, not local, there's a local brewery that used to do, uh, yoga on tap. So mm-hmm. OMB would do it outside and you get a beer and you do yoga with like 150 other people. And I thought, Oh, no sweat. I got this. Oh, my, it's a workout. <laughs> it is a work, even the slow stuff, right? Yes. Even if you go easy because balance, I didn't realize how much of a workout just keeping a balance was. I told Alex, I'm going to be like killing myself when I'm old because I run into doorways now. I like stump my toe on stuff, like trip down the steps. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to 40 if I keep this. <laughs> um, so I really need to start doing things like working on like yoga or Pilates, something like that. But again, I digress. I wanted to bring this back to energy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the whole philosophy, the yoga philosophy, but mm-hmm. I know it's like an Eastern practice and Eastern practice is all about, you know, talking about our energy. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago and it was saying that, you know, our atoms, I believe it's our atoms. I'm not a science person, you guys, but 
<laughs> if we take all of the empty space out of our atoms, our mass could fit on the end of a pen. Yes. I was like, yes. oh my gosh. And it talks about, you know, our energy and the vibes. Like we always talk about, I get a weird vibe from that person. Or I can tell you right now, I have been in the best mood ever sometimes, like almost a state of euphoria, being by myself, driving down the road, like blasting music and just feeling just so energetic and joyful. But as soon as I got to my destination with a certain group of people, it was like what they call those energy vampires. Yes. Like it just sucked the life out of me. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about energy and how that plays into emotional intelligence because our thoughts create that chemical in our brain that creates that emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that physiological effect um, affects our body, but it also determines how we're going to react and respond to things. And then that is projected into the world. And it's, it's a snowball effect. It's a ripple effect, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes. So in yoga, we have a lot of different um, words for energy. Um, one of the most specific practices in yoga is called pranayama, um, which is the energy of the breath. So if you go to yoga class, they'll get you to do the ujjayi breathing. Um, There are thousands of different types of breathing exercises, but there have been scientific studies that show that just one intentional breath, which basically means you just listening and honing in on breathing can cause a a multitude of of different uh, positive effects on your body, like lowering your blood pressure and your heart rate and... um, bringing you into a more easeful, easeful, calm, you know, state of mind and becoming more present. Um, But then there's also this, which is actually my favorite, one of my favorite uh, pieces of the, the philosophies of yoga is called brahmacharya, which is a uh, intentional uh, use of energy, which basically means you have your own energy And you expend that energy throughout the day in different ways. And the practice of brahmacharya is using self-awareness and self-management to understand when you should expend energy and when you should conserve energy, Um, which is so powerful because just like you said, you go into those places and you you meet with those people who are energy vampires. Once you have that emotional intelligence, um, you can then begin to discern whether or not you should put yourself in those types of situations. Mm -hmm. And if you have to put yourself in that situation, what can you do to protect your energy so that you're not leaving that place feeling completely drained, upset, angry, whatever. Mm -hmm. On a podcast with um, Dr. Dr. Catherine Guiley, her and I were having this conversation about energy. And I said that if you're doing it right, you try to create that no man's land whenever you are protecting yourself from negative energy. Obviously you don't want a no man's land. If you have positive energy, you want that to spread. But whenever someone's coming at you with their negative energy or you have negative energy, if you protect yourself and protect others from yourself, when you're in that state, then there should be this buffer there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Um, I think with our fast paced lives, 
this is becoming more and more challenging to manage that energy because if you listen to anyone in the space that is an expert on energy, they'll tell you that you need to be in the stillness and be in the present to be able to manage it effectively else it's just like putting holes in a water hose, you know, <laughs> like you don't even realize how much you're expending um, until you're drained, you're burnt out, you're reacting, you're exploding on people with your emotional shrapnel, as I call it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to reverse that. I don't know how to slow down a world that is accelerating rapidly. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about energy vampires in a different light. You see posts all the time about keep negative people or toxic people out of your life. I don't disagree with that, but I also don't agree with that mm -hmm. because if we're kicking them out of our lives and nobody is bringing them into their space, mm -hmm. then who is going to be there to aid them and support them? Yes. So I think we need to see it as almost like, I don't have a better word for this but almost a charity. No, let me take that back. A responsibility as a human being, because we are all connected. Mm -hmm. A responsibility to set aside a certain amount of time out of our schedule to give some of our energy to someone else. And this can be hard if we don't have that energy to give, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is where the toxic feedback loop comes into play. I can't give someone energy if I don't have it myself. How do I get it myself if I have no one supporting me? And that's why anyone who is listening right now who feels that they're in a good state of mind, I just ask you to kind of, you know, aid a little bit in, in our issue, in our deficit of emotional intelligent world, lack of compassion, whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and give just a little bit, you know, and mm -hmm. do it from the heart. I know a while back there was years ago, the uh, pay it forward where people were paying for the person behind them in the drive through line. And it really caught on and that's great, but don't do it to be a number. Don't do it because you want to tell someone what you did. Do it because you see that there's a need and think of a time that someone was there for you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, like every, I think, you know, I did it before. I didn't believe everybody was put in your life for a reason, but if it wasn't for my ex-boyfriend who gave me the space and allowed me to express myself and have that compassion or had that compassion for me, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. It mm -hmm. only takes one person and it could mm -hmm. literally take one single act. Think of that boy at the school, like the ability to listen to that kid. You don't know the impact that that could have had on him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. It's so mm -hmm. simple to listen to someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think the most important thing that you do when you listen is don't listen to react. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just listen to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to fix their problems. 100%. Don't feel like they are coming at you personally. Um, 
just find a way to hold space for someone that's, you know, kind of the word that we use in the spiritual community, holding space for someone in an empty container where they can literally fill it with, with whatever they need to fill it with you. It's not your responsibility to fill it. It's not your responsibility to put things inside them inside that box for them. It's just an empty box for them. And anybody can do that. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Megan, like, don't be a fixer. Mm-hmm. We want to help people. And I think there's a little bit of ego in that, like saying, oh, yep. look what I did. This person is this because I gave them that advice. Yep. And, and maybe it's not always like that, but I do think there is a piece of ego there. Um, but like you said, just holding that space and listening. Because as a coach, you and I both know that a lot of the magic happens when people hear themselves speak. Mm. They have their aha moments when we ask them a question that is not a leading question, that is not pushing our agenda, you know, well, how do you feel about that? And that's mm-hmm. such a cliche word that a lot of people make fun of quote unquote shrinks, right? Like people in the psychology world, like, and how does that make you feel? Like they mock it, but we are so detached from our feelings that that's a powerful question. How does that make you feel? Right. And yeah, what can I do for you? What do you need from me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there are so many people in this world who may have never been asked that question before. Yeah. So it can be really powerful. Wow. Well, Megan, I'm not going to hold you up from the rest <laughs> of your day. Thank you for sparing an extra 15 minutes of your time. Um, Wow. This has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Mm-hmm. I love all the different areas we covered and how it just came full circle. Uh, Cause it's such a, a big problem and there's so many components and mm-hmm. it's not siloed or in a bubble. Right. Mm-hmm. So awesome. And anyone who's listening, who wants to connect with Megan, um, I will again, put that all of her information in the show notes And if you want to join us on Clubhouse, we're doing live sessions for anyone who is a guest that has an iPhone or an iPad, some type of Apple device, um, so that you can jump into the conversation with us, which you wouldn't have an opportunity to do otherwise. So thank you so much, Megan. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise.